We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Take a shoot that, shoot that. I'm going in the middle. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the City Game podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, it's been a while, almost three whole months you know, since then, matters exponentially more important than basketball have consumed all of us. You know what I'm talking about. Coronavirus pandemic and the protests for equal justice. So I've kind of laid low and let others more well-informed and eloquent take center stage and do the talking. I listened. Look, we're all still hurting. But folks, maybe the NBA can help us heal and not just simply distract us from the pain. The league, of course, is planning to return to the court at the end of July in our Orlando bubble. And I'll explain later in the show why I'm using air quotes right now that you can't see. Really, this show, there's so much to catch up with with regard to the league and the Nets. So I'm extremely grateful that I'll be getting some help in a little bit from Alex Schiffer, who's done a great job in his first season on the Nets beat for TheAthletic.com. I'm sure his recent piece, or pros and cons of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving returning, I'm sure that'll come up. So I ask you, can we please just take a break from reality for the next 40 minutes or so and talk some Nets basketball? Now, if at the end you appreciated the content, I ask that you please subscribe to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to post any comments you have in the appropriate Apple Podcast section. Well, uh, to get started, by now you've probably heard Commissioner Adam Silver's plan. 22 teams, 9 in the East, 13 in the West. Nets just have to stay more than four games ahead of Washington, and they're in the playoffs. And when the league was suspended in March, Nets had a record of 30-34, and 34, half game up on eight-seeded Orlando, and six games ahead of the Wizards. Everyone plays eight more games, and Nets will get the Magic and Clippers twice, plus single games versus the Wizards, Kings, Celtics, and Blazers. Not brutal, especially when you consider they were in the midst of grinding out three more games on a West Coast road trip when the league shut down. Actually, the format was very close to the one I wrote about on Monday on WFN.com. Basically, continue the schedule as is while removing teams that had no reason to be there. You know, why add infection risk, right? Uh, unfortunately, Silver got too cute for school, in my opinion. Seems he had two guiding principles. One was to get as many teams as possible past the 70 regular season game markers so that regional sports network contracts could be honored. 
not a problem for me since players were going to need some sort of ramp-up time into the playoffs anyway. Were eight games too many? Maybe. But, you know, teams heading into the playoffs are going to manage loads just like they do at the end of every regular season, so I don't see it as a big deal. That's not the case, in my opinion, for the second guiding principle, which seemed to be to rig the game to get Zion Williamson onto people's TV screens in games that mattered. So, you know, here you have New Orleans sitting in 10th place in the West by virtue of owning a tiebreaker over Sacramento. But both also happen to be in a virtual tie with 9th place Portland. Meanwhile, Memphis has a three and a half game lead on all three clubs, the Blazers, Pelicans, and Kings. So tell me why the Grizzlies are going to need to win a play-in round if they can't grow their lead past four games after the regular season is done? It's ridiculous. Who decided that four games was the cutoff anyway? I get that the ninth-place team has to win twice in the play-in round, while the eighth-place team only needs one win. That only makes this look more gimmicky. I don't know. Again, I don't believe the Nets will be affected, other than they might lose out on the seventh slot and have to face tougher first-round opponent in Milwaukee. You know, I don't think Washington is going to be coming back very quickly, especially with John Wall out. And this format, you know, sure beats that stupid World Cup group thing that was floating around social media the last couple of weeks. But folks, let's not all assume that this thing will run smoothly. I've written a series of articles on the return of sports amidst the pandemic, and the gist of them is that it won't be easy. This virus is still out there, folks. And Florida has been one of those states that doesn't seem to understand that. The only way I see that this works is if everyone involved, and I mean everyone, players, coaches, trainers, refs, game operations people, hotel workers, everyone, they're all locked inside a bubble. You've already seen what one infection can do in a locker room setting and how the disease's community spread. Even with all the testing... You might not know it until after it happens. It's because the tests are fallible, and sometimes they don't register positive results until after a person is contagious. So when I hear that the NBA is making exceptions, like golf and dining, I cringe. I'm sorry. If LeBron James goes out to dinner, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be mobbed by people. People from all over, since Disney World plans to open all of its resorts by then. Yes, a healthy athlete has a smaller risk of facing the most dire consequences of the disease, but now he's out of circulation for 14 days. And now his teammates all have to worry too. It would be a bad look if, you know, for instance, a team was forced to sideline a handful of their best players during the playoffs because the bubble had leaks. Even worse, the whole project could just as easily be forced to shut down again. I get that this requires tremendous sacrifice by all those involved, especially the players. Spencer Dinwiddie was kind enough to reply to one of my tweets on the subject. said the league has to take players' mental health into account when they format the rules. I get it. But please, Spencer, order in. A bubble with holes can't last long. One more tidbit on this subject before I move on, and that's for when families are allowed into the bubble at the start of the first round. Hopefully the league will take the same precautions. Though I do have to wonder you know, what the trade-off will be for families who have to choose between living in a bubble setting for the duration of that player's playoff run versus 
the comforts of home. Again, it's not like the kids can walk around amongst regular people in the amusement parks. Allowing that would be untenable when it comes to the league's safety protocols. Of course, on the other hand, prohibiting it seems rather cruel to the kids, no? Anyway, moving forward, let's talk more specifically about the Nets. And even more specifically, who are they going to be in Orlando? Because the team they should be will be vastly different from the one that took the floor in that marvelous win over the Lakers in L.A. back in March. And by that I mean, of course, what's going on with Kevin Durant? I'll talk more about that with Alex Schiffer in a few minutes. But my loyal listeners know where I stand. And that's the same place I've been all season, really since Sean Marks' preseason press conference, the one where he announced his expectation that KD would be out for the year while rehabbing from Achilles surgery. And my view has always been that if KD is healthy, and again, by healthy I mean he's medically cleared by doctors and trainers, and he feels comfortable moving around on the floor, he clears all those hurdles, then he should be suiting up for the Brooklyn Nets. I really don't understand how you could come to any other conclusion. You know, I'm not any sort of medical expert, but honestly, I can't think of a player in any sport who had a second Achilles tear. Sure, you know, in many cases, the guys weren't the same player, or it took a while to get close, or, you know, maybe they suffered other injuries to compensate for weakness, but a second tear? After what, you know, 12-plus months of rehab for Durant? I don't know, it, it just seems far-fetched. Look, you know, it's really not complicated. If KD is good to go, then go. If he feels like he isn't right on the court, then it is what it is. We all have to trust that he knows his body and we have to wait. But don't tell me you're saving him for next year. Please. What's that saying? Tomorrow is promised to no one? KD and Kyrie could just as easily get hurt next season too. Oh well. You're here now. Go play. I always go back to the other guys on this team, some of whom might not be around next season. What are you telling them by not playing when you're able? Screw them? I've been over this many times, many, many times. I'm done ranting about it. So let me now bring in Alex Schiffer. Alex covers the Nets for TheAthletic.com, the premier sports site on the web, in my opinion at least. Definitely worth the subscription. So here's the clip with Alex. On the line with me now is the terrific young writer Alex Schiffer of The Athletic. Alex, thank you for giving me some time today. No problem, Steve. Always a pleasure. Well, you know, we're living through some serious times, so I guess that you're like me and can't wait until July 31st, right? Yes. I uh, I was literally running out of story ideas prior to Thursday's news, so it, it couldn't have come at a better time for me. Right. So what was your reaction to Commissioner Silver's plan? You know, I don't really get the need for a play-in round, other than it seems like a way to rig the path for Zion Williamson to get in. You know, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I'm of the same thought as you, actually. You know, I, I kind of thought when you look at the standings, there's there was enough separation between the eight and the nine seeds in both conferences to where it was pretty established that these would be the playoff teams. And, you know, even with a full regular season, you know, maybe there would be a little more change in the West based on the schedules as they were. But uh, I, I definitely think that they, they went a little out of their way to try to get Zion to help the ratings 
And, uh, you know, if you're the Wizards, I don't know what, what you would do, given that I, I think it, a lot would have to happen for there to be a play-in game in uh, in the Eastern Conference for sure. So I uh, I get that, you know, they're trying to save as, or make as much money as they can, given the situation. And, uh, you know, the, the eight games gives teams a chance to get some of their regional cable checks, which helps. And uh, obviously, the, you know, you get a few more big names in the mix with the Blazers, with Carmelo Anthony, Damian Lillard, uh, even though they were the team that voted against this, they don't, it seems like they don't want to be there. And uh, then you look at, as you said, Zion, Bradley Beal. So, you know, definitely getting some bigger names in the mix to help uh, help ratings and interest, it seems like. And what do you know about the safety protocols? I mean, we some have been leaked out, but have you know, the players and owners and Silver, you know, I know they all communicate, but... Do you know if there's been any sense that an agreement is coming on that, too? I don't know what, a lot on that, but I, I know that, that those that will be in the bubble, it seems like, will have to be tested daily from what I've heard. Um, and then, obviously, symptom checks and, and all that. So I, I, don't, I haven't seen a specific outline of that, but from what I've been able to find out, it seems like that, that's the bare minimum or, or for what's going to be going on in the bubble. Um, I, I'm just as curious to hear about that as as, the, as everybody else. Well, you know, I heard about this dining out. So if you ever get a chance to talk to these guys again, tell them to order in. Uh, I uh, yeah, I I, I mean, at, being at Disney World too, the, the food's pretty good. So I don't think there should be any complaints there. Well, I'm gonna get Alex Schiffer of the Athletic. I want to get to your article, uh, the most recent one you wrote about whether Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving will play. You gave the pros and cons, you know, for the record, I've been a pro on KD all season, you know, whenever he's cleared and feels comfortable moving around the court, but I'm not sure what side you came out on. Did you lean one way? And has your reporting uncovered hints as to which way it will go in Orlando? I, uh, I, I tried to kind of stay in the middle, but I, I kind of found myself when I was writing it, um, thinking that there were more pros than cons, assuming everything checked out medically, because uh, you know I think it's such a rare opportunity for them to really make some noise in the playoffs when they weren't expecting to. And if the medicals check out and they can really shake things up, and I, I think the biggest thing is if they're able to get the seven seed, because you know I, I think the the eight seed. I mean, you're just kind of it's the Milwaukee Invitational, if you ask me. And uh, the seven seed to me is the path for them to really make some noise if if, if Durant's able to play. Um, obviously, they wanted the break only a half game up on the Magic, but I, I haven't heard anything definitive. You know, I, I think that um, I think that both of them is, will be like, Durant. You know, obviously, will be thirteen and a half months or so removed from his Achilles injury, and uh, and Kyrie. You know, I, I have something coming out hopefully in the next couple of weeks about his shoulder injury. Talking to some sports medicine doctors and um and he uh he's gonna he seems to be in the four to six month range so he'd be very close around the time this is all going down so um i i i think it's a little early to make a call on it especially with the Kyrie stance but i i kind of found myself leaning toward there's more reason to play than not play while writing it oh very good um you know, if KD and Kyrie do play, it'll be interesting to see what it means for Brooklyn's coaching situation. You know, there's some who think 
interim Jock Vaughn has a shot to stick because you know, he's two and zero and could conceivably lead this team on a run in the playoffs. I mean, I personally can't believe that the powers that be, whoever they were that called on Kenny Atkinson to be fired, you know, they did that just because they wanted Jock Vaughn to coach. I want to believe they had a bigger name in mind. But, you know, first of all, do you think the perception of Vaughn right now would be different had LeBron James made a lefty layup or Anthony Davis knocked down that buzzer-beating three with no net within six feet of him? Not not really, in my opinion, because, I mean, it was two games. You know, I, I think that um, I think that he would have had a tough time, even if the season had just gone as is. You know, that'd be a 20-game sample size. I mean, how many games would he have had to win in the last 20 to, re- like, overwhelmingly um, make a case for himself before even getting to the postseason? I, I feel like he'd have to win the majority of them or, or – you know, I mean, I don't think 10 and 10 would have cut it or, or 12 and 8. I think it would have had to look pretty good uh, from never really have a case for himself just on that. But, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to think he has a shot because he has a good relationship with Kyrie Irving. He fits the Spurs tree that Sean Marks has, you know, so heavily dipped into since he's come to Brooklyn. And he... You know, we've seen before teams like the Cavaliers and the Raptors get rid of the uh, head coach in favor of the top assistant and have it work out great. I mean, you look at Ty Lue and Nick Nurse, and uh, obviously it's a bit of a different situation, but there is a track record there of that turning out to be a good hire very recently. So I I think that he would have to, in, in my opinion, they would have to pull off a first round upset in the playoffs, assuming they're the seven or the eight seed. And then, you know, whatever those eight games are look good as well. But I I, I just, as you kind of said, I'd, I'd have a hard time seeing that in hindsight that they got rid of Kenny Atkinson just to replace him with Jacques Vaughn. I, again, I, I think Jacques Vaughn's got a good rep, rep in the Nets organization. I think there's a lot of people there that would love for him to be the coach if that's the case. But I, uh, as you said, I, I just can't see them getting rid of Kenny Atkinson for to only end up replacing him with the top assistant, given the small sample size of games, he's going to have to prove himself. That being said, anything's on the table, and, and you know we'll see what happens. But I, I I'd have to think that there that there's going to be other names that have a hard time out duking in the interview process. So so if you were to give me like your top three in terms of probability, your odds, not Vegas's odds, you know who would be the coach next season? Top three in terms of odds. I think it's Ty Lue's to turn down almost, in the, just in the sense that I, I think he's going to be the hottest name that they talk to and have the most momentum. You know, I, I did a couple weeks ago a Nets fan poll, and uh, Ty Lue was the name that, that came up the most. Um, I uh, So he he's the one I think that, you know, has been listed the most and talked about the most and has the most momentum. I don't really, you know, Mike Brown's name's been thrown around. The Warriors' top assistant obviously has ties to both Durant and Kyrie. I, I don't really see that being a thing. Um, I, I think there's going to be an assistant that comes up. Of sorts. You know, some people have talked about Ime Udoka from the Sixers with Spurs ties. Uh, you know, a lot of people have said Brett Brown is a name if the Sixers part ways with them. But I, I just think that uh, that um, – if he couldn't get it done in Philadelphia, then what's the argument that he can get it done in uh, in Brooklyn? 
Um, my dark horse candidate that really no one's talked about that I, I think would be a very fascinating hire is Ator Messina. He's coaching over in Europe. Uh, you know, he's he's won four EuroLeague titles. He was a Spurs assistant back in the day and overlap with Sean Marks there. You know, he's considered one of the best coaches in all of Europe. Was with the Spurs, has NBA times, with the Lakers also as a consultant. He's a name that I don't think anyone's really talked about. So the more I think about it, he, he'd be a really fascinating hire. And, uh, you know, he fits so much of what the Nets are about in the sense of uh, the Spurs ties. You know, he's, he's a big – people have talked about the big name perception. I mean, you know, he's a big name in, in coaching circles and, and in basketball circles, but maybe not your average Nets fan wouldn't recognize it. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he's he's had an um, he's a four-time EuroLeague champion over in Europe, and he has an amazing track record over there. He's someone that I've, I, I keep asking myself how much I should pay attention to him because I – I, I think that he checks a lot of boxes, and, and no one's really brought him up that much. Interesting. Well, before I move on to another topic, I never really got to talk to you. Uh, I, mean, I think I was only at one game before this, uh, when before the pandemic sh- shut everything down. Do you think Atkinson got a raw deal? I I, I go back and forth with this. You know, um, I, the the story that Sham Sharani and I had. You know, I I think that. The, the biggest takeaway I had from that from that reporting was that it, it seems like, you know, you, Kenny didn't do himself favors on his way out the door. You know, he uh, you know, he sought feedback from the team and you know, he really wanted to stick to his system. And I, I just think that, you know, th- you know, th- life in general is a game of adjustments. And um, and it, it seems like, you know, when when he knew he was losing the locker room. He, he didn't really want to make the, the necessary changes that could have maybe helped him keep his job or, or get his voice back in there. I, I, I think he got a raw deal in the sense that he, he took them from nothing and, and almost like a laughingstock in the NBA because, you know, when he took the job, I mean, they had no draft picks from that infamous Garnett-Pierce trade and, you know, got them to respectability and then playoff contention uh, quicker than most people thought. And, I, you know, I think that the case being made of him deserving a chance with with the team next year absolutely is warranted. But I, I also think that him, you know, not really willing to part ways with the system or, or tweak it and um, and, you know, knowing what needed to be done and, and not really interested in, in doing that. I, I think that there is something to be said for that, too. Right. I mean, you know, but, you know. This is well, a, I, a player's. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's more. In, I think maybe it's indecisiveness. You know, you see it in games when, you know, he lets, you know, 7-2 runs become 18-2 runs before doing anything. You know, it's that type of yes. thing. Yes. And I, I think we, more than stubbornness, I think, maybe. Yeah, and we, you know, we've talked about this in games. I want to say how, you know, he's he sometimes is a little too married to his rotations. And, you know, there'd be games where he would take Dinwiddie or Levert out and they lose a big lead. And instead of sending them one of them back in to stop the bleeding – you know, he'd say, no, nah, it's too early in the season. You know, I don't want to do that to a guy minutes-wise. Well, you know, win, you know, winning winning is the, the lifeblood of your, your job. I, I, I thought there'd be too many times like that where, you know, he'd be he, – he'd always have a reason for, no, you know, I was going to stick with that unit. You know, I mean, as you said, with the indecisiveness, I mean, can you get away with that in a playoff scenario if you're getting crushed and you leave Durant and Irving on the bench too long? I mean – 
I, I just I ca- I kind of thought back to some of that stuff and and asked myself if if that if that was going on in the context of next season where it's arguably the most important season in the history of the franchise, um, could you know what the kind of fire he'd come under for that, especially with, with the with the eyeballs that they're going to have on next year. So, as you kind of said, you know I I I feel for him, but I also think that he's going to get a great job, um, regardless of of what happened here you know i think he'll be back a great on job he, he he might get a well, job you know he he probably could go yeah, back I, to, yeah. to atlanta which is a terrible job but he could you know he could probably do the same type of thing there that he did in brooklyn well, well uh, you're right just a job he'll still be making more money than both of us next year um <laughs> so um but yeah you know he he you know this obviously isn't the end of his career and, and or a kiss of death to him or anything but um i uh i i'm as you kind of said, I'm curious to see where he goes from here in his career. Is is he become the guy that kind of takes bad teams and turns them into more, you know, more respectable ones, or does he get a chance to really show what he can do over the a length of time with the team and and get the shot he didn't get here? But I, I think it's I think it's a split decision on if he got a raw deal in the sense of I, I see the arguments for why he didn't. I don't disagree with them, and I also see, as you said, the indecisiveness part of him and and kind of how. Um, his inability to, to handle some of the issues that arose this season and, and do what he needs to do to, to handle them. Um, I, I think both things can be true if, if that's fair. All right. Well, I'm talking with Alex Schiffer of The Athletic. Alex, just a few more for you. You know, I don't want you to have to rip a colleague from one of your competitors, but you know, you see the Bradley Beal trade speculation as much of a nothing burger as I do. I mean, I'm sure Mark's talks about a lot of people in the planning meetings and that doesn't mean he's going to go all in on another scoring guard or, or that even that the wizards would be agreeable. What do you think Marks will be doing in this upcoming off season? It's a good question. Um, I agree with you with the Bradley Beal stuff as a nothing burger. I I agree with everything you just said, Steve. I mean, teams kick around player uh, trade discussions all the time. I'm sure some of them are, are more formal than others. You know, could be a couple front office guys cracking a beer and saying, hey, you know, what, what we have to give up for, you know, player X, right? I mean, so, and this was just a name that got out. And, you know, our, our, if you've been following our reporting, I mean, Fred Katz, who, uh, my buddy that covers the Wizards, New York native, uh, fellow Mizzou journalism grad like myself, <laughs> he, he says the Wizards have no interest in trading Bradley Beal, and, and Bradley Beal has no interest in being traded. He, he doesn't like change, and he's very tight with John Wall and wants to see what they can do together with when John Wall recovers from his own Achilles injury. And, you know, I, I think that what, what isn't really being talked about a lot here is that I think Sean Marks is too smart and too good at his job to where he'd make a bad deal for a third star. I think if the Nets were to go that route, he would try to get as break even of a deal or as fair of a trade as he could. You know, I, I talked to Fred Katz about um about this on a podcast and i said to him i said do you think the wizards would take karis levert jared allen and two first round picks for bradley Beal?" he said no they'd want more than that if it was if it was even that serious of a discussion to me and maybe i'm i'm scratching people were you know in a in a bad place here um if you were to go more than what i just laid out especially in terms of draft assets we're talking about round two of you know a, a Garnett Pierce trade. Um, and again, if the Nets win a championship, it, it doesn't matter what the trade looks like. But I mean, you know, overpaying on a bounty for one of these guys, I think could cripple them while still trying to build a contender. 
And uh, I, I just think that it, it it's and, you know, that, that'd be a third max contract they'd be carrying, and, you know, which would make it very tough to kind of build the rest of the roster, you know, and, and you know, keep Joe Harris, all, all those domino, you know, DeAndre Jordan would still have his large contract. I, I just can't see it with everything we've heard. And I, I don't think it makes a ton of sense right now. I, you know, I've, I've been a proponent. They don't need a scoring couple. guard. They need exactly. Size. And, and Bradley Beal needs the ball in his hands a lot. You know, I mean, Kyrie needs the ball in his hands. Durant needs the ball in his hands. I, you know, I, the thing about Joe Harris is that, you know, aside from him being, he's become more of a well-rounded offensive player, but just as a three-point specialist, I think he's worth a better investment just in terms of what he does with the pieces already there compared to Bradley Beal. Exactly. exactly. I, I, I agree with everything you've said. All right. Uh, finally, Alex Schiffer of The Athletic. You know, how do you think the media is going to cover the Orlando games? And I'd be surprised if your employer sent reporter from every team but what's your guess yeah i um i'm i'm just as curious as you i feel like especially some of the larger outlets like us and espn are probably going to have x amount of people assigned or or offered to go down there and then kind of go from there um i see a world in which um you know i i i think that there'll be media in the bubble but i also I have a hard time thinking that that they're not going to have um, some way for media to not stay, you know, to, to not be in the bubble the whole time, just because the the cost of that and with the way you know a lot of media companies are. I just I, I feel like the the NBA PR team is too smart to to not recognize all that. So I, I kind of see a world in which maybe there's a, there's a few different scenarios for media, and I don't. Um, you know, I don't expect there to be press conferences in which um, in which we're all I, I we're not going to be allowed in the locker room. I just I, I don't think that's going to be the case for a while. And I, I kind of wonder what's going to happen with press conferences, because, you know, if we're all kind of cramped on each other like we usually are at, at Barclays. What you know, for a player scrum, I mean, how would that work for, you know, a pregame availability for, for the visiting coach? I, I just kind of wonder how that would work. You know, given that that's not really practicing social distancing, so I think they're going to have to get creative with some of that, and then um, and and maybe do some some video conference stuff or uh, like a Zoom or you know we're on Skype instead. So I you know I, I've been told it's a, it's still an evolving situation, but I think there's going to have to be a few options just because of of capacity, um, cost, and uh, and you know health guidelines so i feel like there's there's a lot of factors being discussed about the whole thing and of course the you know there's a desire for content so they're gonna have to balance that out and figure out a way you know for uh, reporters to ask questions whether it's zoom press conferences or conference calls afterwards you know these guys are not allowed these guys are supposedly not going to be allowed to shower in the in the locker rooms exactly and and kind of going off of what you said um, I, again, I think Adam Silver's smart enough to understand that, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of promoting interest and, and, um, spreading the word about the playoffs that he's going to need the media now more than, than ever in terms of helping that. Obviously that's our job is to, is to, um, spread the word, whether it be positive or negative. But, um, I, I think that he's too smart to not understand the factors of all that. If you were told that you should go down as one of those tier two you know, the leaked uh, tiers where you would be 
you you would be able to be in the arena, but you couldn't get close to the players. Uh, what would be your feeling? I'd go. Um, you know, I, I've um, been relatively healthy my whole life, knock on wood. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, on another hand, I mean, it, you know, after being cooped up in the house um, for as long as I have, I think that uh, I, I think that just a, a change of scenery would be cool. And, you know, I, I trust Adam Silver. I trust that they'd be putting us in, in a safe position for it to, for us to do our jobs. And, um, you know, it's also historic. I mean, this is like, this is something you're never going to see again, um, or hopefully not, but something we haven't seen up until this point. So it is kind of a bit historic with that aspect of the job. And, um, I mean, especially if Durant were to play, I, I think that, you know, this is the all hands on deck time for the beat. And, you know, I, I think everything that will, would come out of him playing uh, is too important to pass up. And uh, again, I, I'm confident in my immune system and I'm confident in, in the league to kind of make sure they do everything they can to, uh, to keep us safe and healthy and away from the virus. Uh, and on the flip side, I mean, if, if you know, they were, I was getting sent and the Nets were to drop to the eighth seed, you know, I don't think I'd be there that long. I mean, it's kind of a, a twofold thing. Right? I mean, if I was, you know, if we're a year into the future, and I'm expecting to be there well into the playoffs because of uh, assuming a healthy Katie and Kyrie. Um, I might, I might be a little more nervous just because, you know, the longer you're there, I feel like the longer you're putting yourself in a, a scary position. Um, but I mean, I, I think the Nets are kind of a team where if, if Durant and or Kyrie play, uh, maybe they're there a while and they have like a March madness, like Cinderella run, or maybe they, you know, they don't, and they fall to the eighth seed, and it's the Milwaukee Invitational, and I'm home in a few weeks. So uh, I, I think, I, like, as I talk to you right now, I'd have no problem going. Maybe that were to change between now and then if there's a spike in cases in Florida or something like that, but right now I, I would go. Well, all I know is I definitely wouldn't be able to see you there. Uh, I guess I'll maybe 2021, hopefully. Alex Schiffer of The Athletic, can't thank you enough for graciously, graciously giving me your time today. You know, I've been a loyal athletic subscriber since almost around day one, and I always recommend it to all my listeners. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Steve. You know, stay safe out there, man. You too. Again, that was Alex Schiffer, a guy whose writing I've seen grow enormously as he's gotten into the Nets beat for TheAthletic.com. Great site, not just for Nets coverage, but really all New York sports. So I've got a couple of more quickie topics to go over right now, if you don't mind, both of which I discussed with Alex. And the first is the head coaching situation. Alex and I didn't discuss Tom Thibodeau at all because I guess, you know, from what I hear and what he hears, he's not going to be an option. You know, that may warm some Nets fans' hearts, but really, he's a very good coach. And trust me, Katie and Kyrie would have loved playing for him because... You know, they're both basketball junkies who want to learn things from their coach. But, you know, it won't matter anyway. You know, I see Tibbs across the river in New York next season. You know, maybe in Philadelphia if the Sixers flame out and then they fire Brett Brown. And I agree with Alex. To me, Tyrone Lue has to be Brooklyn's target. You know, if you want my reasons, uh, check out the column I wrote on my WFAN.com page. Guy's got a championship on his resume. You know, with Irving in a 1A role, no less. And, you know, he's really well-respected by players and coaches. 
Again, Lou is also going to have multiple offers, maybe in Houston. And it could come down to a bidding war or maybe another contract detail like selection of assistant coaches. And we'll really get to see how owner Joseph Sai operates when all this shakes out. Next up, the trade rumors. And there's bound to be plenty, you know, simply because of the tight window due to KD and Kyrie's opt-outs after two more seasons. You know, Marks operates in stealth mode, so I doubt any of us will predict what eventually transpires. I do know what the Nets need, and it's not Bradley Beal. You know, he's a fantastic scorer. But really, how many points is he going to score on a team with KD and Kyrie dominating the ball? It won't be 30 points per game, I can tell you that right now. And how much would that new average be over and beyond what someone like Karis LeVert can give you right now? Because you know the Wizards are surely going to demand LeVert as part of the return compensation in any Beal deal. No, what the Nets need is what they've always lacked in the Marks era. Size and toughness. Having a guy like Beal doesn't make sense if you're still planning on starting guys like Torian Prince at power forward. You want a potential target? How about LaMarcus Aldridge? You think the rebuilding Spurs wouldn't jump at the chance to offload a 35-year-old who will be making $24 million next season? It's an expiring contract, so it's not like the Nets would get assets for taking it on. You know, To the contrary, they'd probably have to give some, but it shouldn't cost them a core piece like Levert. Now, you know, if the idea is to go after a younger gun like Atlanta's John Collins or Chicago's Laurie Markkinen, Nets are going to have to pony up. Those are the guys Mark should be focusing on during his rap sessions with his staff. Size and toughness, not guard scoring. But, believe it or not, we still have to get through the 2019-20 season first before anything like that comes to fruition. What happens from here on out will be fascinating. I can't even say for sure that the league will finish the season. A doctor friend of mine says for sure they won't. And with the current leaked allowances, I'm not going to bet against him right now. But I know the NBA is going to try, and for that, I'm grateful. And I'm also incredibly grateful that I was able to catch Alex Schiffer from TheAthletic.com for a few minutes on this return of the City Game podcast. Thanks again, Alex. And folks, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen to this when there's so much more important topics to stay on top of. I hope it was worth your time. Really, please stay healthy and safe. As for me... With this pandemic limiting my access to insiders who provide you with great Nets content, I'm not sure how frequently I'll be recording going forward. It's not like I can just head on down to the arena anymore and grab a player and a well-respected media member for exclusive interviews. I'll just have to play it by ear, I guess. Well, if you subscribe to this podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using now, you should get an alert as to when the next episode is ready to be downloaded. So, until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.